Hey, what's going on, good people? Welcome back to another episode of Training Well Done. You're here with your host, Coach Donald. Oh, man, this is your podcast on the what, the why, and the how of quality training. I am out for a walk right now, and as you all know, I love recording while I'm on the go. But I've never done it while on a walk, so this will be different. So, nice sunny walk. I jacked myself up yesterday. So, I want to make a video, I mean a video, podcast episode about plyometric training today. Well, funny enough, as much as it helps with mitigating injury risk, you know what a great way to mitigate your injury risk is? Not doing too much, which is exactly what I did. I was out running yesterday. I did a swim lesson, and then I did a five-mile run on super tired legs. Um, I had played in my Frisbee league the other night, two nights ago, and my legs felt so flat and heavy then, I could hardly sprint, and I had eaten, like, I was fed, I had energy, but couldn't move, and I tripped yesterday, and somehow in my fall, I, like, feels like I, like, lightly strained my Achilles or something, rolled my ankle, uh, doesn't really feel like a rolled ankle, so my Achilles is bothering me, and I'm pretty sure I should have, I mean, I could have just not fell, of course, but also it would have been great if I just took it easy and rested like I'm forced to do right now. But today's episode, I want to talk about plyometrics. I shot a little skit earlier, and it was, if you've ever watched my own Instagram, a Marvin skit, on there I talked about plyometrics, and there's a line in there that I said to uh, one of my clients earlier last week, and I was like, yeah, I feel like one of my side quests in life is just teaching people about plyometrics, and uh, I, I really feel like that's true. So let's dive in. I've talked about it maybe on this podcast before, so those of you listening, this might be a great refresher. Plyometrics comes from two words, that, at least the way that I understand the history of this word, uh, some Russian guy, don't remember his name, decided to uh, name, was an American guy watching Russians train, um, one of the two, was watching these Russian athletes do these intense jump trainings as they got ready for track and field events. And the word breaks down to plyo, which is um, more in Greek, and metric, which in Greek also means to measure. And so it's like to measure more or more measure, uh, which relates to, I imagine, performing better in track and field, which is a completely measurement-based sport. So that's where that comes from. Now, there are levels to what is a plyometric and what is not. I'm pretty loose about what I define as a plyometric. Others, you, if you do research on it, you might find that others are more particular about what they call a plyometric and what they don't. Um, the more strict definitions tend to be that it involves a really intense fall and jump off the ground, usually related to like a depth jump, where an uh, athlete might step off of a box or jump off of a box, hit the ground very aggressively, and jump back up. And so that's what some of the stricter definitions of plyometrics are. I tend to use a looser definition of plyometrics, which is uh, any exercise that 
uh, elicits the stretch shortening response in a jumping or bouncing like fashion. Uh, I also include skips in there, which may not fit a high level definition of that, but honestly, if you watch really high level athletes do like skips, they look really powerful when they do those. And if you take um, somebody who's really not athletic and not very fit, and you have them do like a skips and such, you can find out just how intense that actually can be for them. Uh, they have, you can see how hard their body's trying to bounce, how fatiguing that can be on the joints over t that short five to ten seconds. So these are what plyometrics are. Think like bounds, box jumps, hurdle hops. Sprinting to an extent also is a plyometric type of movement as well. Well, not to an extent it is. So I wanted to go over three reasons why you should do plyometrics in your training. And I'm going to make this a bit of a series. And so in later episodes, I'll talk about how you can organize your plyometrics and get into some more of the nitty gritty of how plyometrics work. So a couple of the three of these things. The first one is springiness, right? I want you, if you're moving around right now, just stand up and bounce a little bit. And note how easy it is to just spring off the ground. When you're running, jumping, the tendon that you have, your Achilles tendon, as well as those tendons through your knee and your hip, your muscle and tendon unit stretches and then tightens up really fast, like a rubber band. Different people have different levels of that bounce though. You may have seen somebody who, when they run, they just look like they're jumping. Some people who have really good plyometric movement, they look really graceful when they run. Some people don't. And what that does, when you think about spring, the tendon, your muscle has to do the work to get you to run or to get you to jump. But when you have more spring in your system, then every step you take, you actually get extra energy contributed to it by way of your tendon giving you an extra pop. So think about if you take your left hand and you pull your left, your pointer finger back and let it snap forward, that little spring, your muscles in your wrist aren't doing the work of making that finger spring forward. That's all just in the reflex of the tendon. You can train that when you're running to get that same reflex out of your ankle uh, and your knees so that you actually can make running easier on your body as well as that can translate to running faster for the same effort. So being able to increase springiness is a big benefit of plyometric training, specifically as it relates to performance. All right. Now, another benefit of plyometric training is power production. This is about being able to get your body to become more powerful. And I want to define what it means to become more powerful in a physiological sense. Every movement you make, you have your nervous system that gets the muscles to move. If you do exercise, let's say you're doing like workouts where you're doing 15 squats or 20 squats or 10 reps or whatever, if you do that hard enough to where you fail in 15 reps, 
you fail because every rep, your muscles are cycling through groups of them to do the work. But each individual repetition, especially early on, only takes a small percentage of your muscle fibers to actually do anything. Um, and I'm actually going to use the word motor unit. Motor unit is the muscles and the nerves that innervate them. So if you look at your thighs, your quad muscles, there are hundreds of actual muscles, thousands really, or more than that, of muscle fibers in those quads. Each, like branches of nerves, innervate some of them. So like I'm walking right now. All of my quads are actually not working to do the walk because it's very low intensity for me. Only small batches of my quads are doing any work at a time. And so when you do an exercise, you do goblet squats, and you do 15 of those, and you get pooped out. In the first five, your body's cycling through groups of these muscles to do the work. But as you get fatigued, the stamina of those drops dramatically, so it has to cycle through them faster. And then once you actually get to the end of fatigue, your body's trying to use a little bit of energy left um, in all of them together, which can get you to that shaking sensation because now all of your muscles and that uh, movement that are required are working to do the movement under duress. So then you shake because they're all failing at the same time. That is fatigue based on um, basically endurance. Power is a very different thing, actually. I want you to think about jumping as high as you can one time. That's a powerful movement. What has to happen there is in order to uh, be powerful or to do an explosive movement, your nervous system has to contract a vast majority of those muscle fibers at the same time. Some people are much better at that genetically than others. But that is something that can be trained. So if you think about doing heavy squats and you're doing squats where you're doing singles, doubles, and triples, and those squats are, like, you do two squats, and you can only do two squats. You do two deadlifts, and you can only do two deadlifts. That means that that, must, that, that exercise required you to recruit nearly all of the involved muscles, motor units, I'm sorry, at the same time. So instead of doing 15 deadlifts, where I'm using some of my glutes here, some of my hamstrings there, you actually have to use all of your glutes and hamstrings to do each individual repetition. And in sports, let's say in track and field, if you're doing a 100-meter dash or you're playing basketball and you're going to dunk on somebody, you need to actually recruit all of those at once to be able to elicit those movements. Plyometric training can help you with learning how to be more powerful. You're like, why did you say learning to be more powerful? I say that specifically because that is what's actually taught. On one hand, Part of being more powerful is growing bigger muscles that are stronger. But the other part of it is teaching your nervous system how to recruit all at once. And you can only teach your muscle, your motor units to recruit all at once, generally through things that involve moving at high speeds. So sprinting, jumping, um, even to an extent Olympic lifts um, or like jumping with weights. These things that require a lot of speed to even do the movement properly can help with that. The other way to get your motor units to recruit all at once is by lifting really heavy weights that require them all to work at once. 
And so that starts teaching those motor units to work together. And so through a lens, you could think of power as a synchronicity of the body. And plyometrics, not every exercise can elicit this, but if you're just doing A skips and pogo hops, that's not really going to do that for most people. But things like sprinter bounds or really explosive single leg hops or jumping over 20, 30 inch hurdles, those sorts of activities teach your body to be more powerful. Depth jumps, so it's jumping off a box and jumping back onto another one instantly. Um, maybe jumping with weights in your hand. Uh, box jumps to an extent, also, yeah, box jumps, especially if it's challenging height or you're jumping really high to land, also helps create that response. So power production is a great use of plyometrics. And a lot of you listening might be distance runners, like, how does that apply? The ceiling, especially once you have the aerobic fitness, improving your ceiling to be explosive allows you to incorporate higher pace loads when you're doing tempo runs and threshold runs to be able to actually work your body harder on your workout days. So it does still matter even for distance runners. Now the last one is injury risk reduction. Part of the soft tissue injuries that people get when they're playing sports, let's say you're cutting and your, your foot gets messed up, um, you twist your ankle, or um, you're sprinting and you like overextend your hamstring. These type of soft tissue injuries sometimes happen because the tissue, uh, like your tendons and your muscles, are not ready for the loads that are being put on them. And so being able to do plyometrics helps increase their tolerance for these type of movements. So if let's say um, I'm standing on the curb and let's say I just jump off the curb and land like that, like some people can get hurt doing stuff like that. Or if you do that uh, too much in like a sport, you're cutting, your tissue just can only handle but so much of that because, well, it's hard to do. It's stressful on the body to move explosively. Doing plyometrics can allow your body to increase its tolerance for these type of stressors. In earlier episodes, I've talked about this dump truck, right? In that you build up tolerance for things, let's say aerobic um, capacity or workload as far as total amount of exercise you can tolerate. I'm doing a triathlon right now and I'm around other triathletes who in triathlon, you gotta live, you gotta run, you gotta swim, you gotta bike, you gotta lift. Um, and so these are four different things that you have to be able to do. And you need a big bandwidth if you're going to do that at a high level. But you build up this bandwidth, right? The dump truck, let's say I'm sitting on my car right now. So I have a small Volkswagen and it can only hold but so much in the car. And if I put too much in the car, the suspension breaks and the car starts having issues. Versus down the street, somebody has a Ford F-250. Now the Ford F-250 has a bigger work capacity. It can hold more on it, more stress on the unit before it breaks down. Let's say I had a dump truck. Now a dump truck is bigger than my my Volkswagen and this uh, F-250 put together. So that dump truck can hold a lot of stress in it. Think like those construction trucks before the suspension or other parts of the vehicle breaks down. Your body is similar in that regard. The more you can build up tolerance for a certain type of movement then the more of that your body can handle, 
before it breaks down. And so then you're able to get more of a stress load through training or you're able to compete in more intensive uh, events that require a lot of endurance, whether it's endurance to do the event or it's a series of events that require endurance. So that's uh, my big three on what plyometrics help you out with. Um, in the upcoming series, we're going to talk a little bit more about plyometrics and how they work and how you can incorporate them into your training. But uh, please, I have uh, on www.ghperformance.com, you can reach out, ask any questions you might have about plyometrics. Um, on my Instagram page, at Coach Donald, Coach underscore Donald. There are lots of videos uh, about different things for plyometrics that we'll have. Um, and then, yeah, we'll have some more resources coming out about how you can incorporate that into your training. A lot of athletes are really missing out on their athletic potential and what they could be getting out of sport by not having this as a part of their training. And so, yeah, I really starting to feel like one of my side quests is to teach people about how to incorporate these things. All right, so if you have any questions, let me know. Otherwise, stay tuned for the next episode. I'm going to end this walk and get moving. All right, get those plyos in. Ciao. We'll talk soon. Make sure you like, subscribe, uh, share this podcast with a teammate, a running buddy, or somebody you know who needs to know this information.